Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast and thank you to Nico Giro who's joining me today to talk about really what is a quite a big evolution of the voluntary offsets market. But before we get to that, let me give just a, a very light intro and then I'm going to ask Nico to explain a little more about his background and also the work of Clear Blue Markets. So uh, Nico, you were actually one of the founding partners I see of Clear Blue Markets and you're managing director of markets. So if you could just talk to us a bit about how did the business come to form? Um, you came at it from a background in energy trading. So you know, what's what's the kind of goal of the business? And then we're talking about voluntary offsets. So how does it feed into that as well? Perfect. Yeah. Thanks uh, for the invitation, Alex. Um, so, yeah, so I co-founded Clear Blue Market six years ago. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, Alex, we've been working, uh, I would say, with some of uh, my partners, Michael and Michael, in the carbon uh, offset world since the early 2000s. Uh, we've held different positions for offset developers, but also for uh, banks uh, and for energy traders. Um, and yeah, that, that gave us a lot of experience uh, in all those markets. Um, however, what happened is six years ago, carbon markets were really at the lows. Prices were very low, like there weren't any incentive to produce new offsets or work on new projects. Uh, and at that point, um, we we saw that the, there was a new cap and trade, so a regulatory market starting in Ontario in, in Canada. Uh, and that was a good thing because uh, one of my two partners, Michael, is Canadian, and at that point decided to come back to Toronto. Um, myself actually moved to New York, Michael stayed in Amsterdam, uh, but at that point we, we started Clear Blue Markets, and the, the goal uh, originally was to help uh, large emitters in Ontario to understand this new market coming uh, and how they could optimize their position um, and, and trade their, their position. So that, that's really what we, we started doing. Uh, one of our first clients was a large regulated entity that needed to hire experts uh, to, um, uh, to create a compliance plan. And that's how it, it all started. And from there, we started working with most of the large emitting sectors from steel to cement, chemical, uh, et cetera, you name it, all the large emitters and all the, the industry that there is in, in Ontario. Uh, and from there, yeah, we, we went, started working across North America, in California and Quebec and uh, across Canada and, and the US, uh, helping really large emitters uh, manage these compliance positions. Um, that was the first thing. And then I would say two years ago, um, there was a lot of uncertainty in the, in the Canadian market with new governments coming in and out and changing the rules. Uh, and what we saw is we started seeing as well large corporates coming to us or some of our uh, clients that were in regulatory markets and starting to ask more about voluntary markets. Um, and so that's really how we really started uh, working more on, on the voluntary offset market, just really because of demand from clients. And of course, our deep background in offset development and, uh, and, and trading also helped a lot. So that's really how we came to, to start as, as Clear Blue as a company. And then as the company has grown, like how would how's the kind of the balance of the work shifted? So if you think about, you know, six years ago when you launched to now, like what proportion of your time or advisory work is, is focused on voluntary versus regulated markets, would you guesstimate? Yeah, I think the, the first thing that we noticed is when we started six years ago, we really had to push our services and, and explain clients why it was so important to, to look at those carbon uh, regulatory markets and uh, yeah, how it would impact them because they, they didn't not realize really that that was coming and that was important. So that was really the, the first shift I think we've seen in the past two years is that it's really shifted from 
us pushing pushing services to clients to really clients coming to us because now they realize that carbon pricing is here to stay um, and so it's it's an important uh, part of their business um, and so yeah it, like this at the same time it, it started a lot as well uh, when we work were working with clients we would talk to people in the environmental department but now it's becoming more and more of a financial issue so there's also been a shift there um, and then on, on your question on compliance versus voluntary, when we started, it was really 100% compliance. And today I would say it's still 60% compliance, 40% voluntary, but definitely like the new clients, the new interest is coming from the voluntary side. If you could just kick off with a little bit of a, an introduction to carbon offsets, you know, the difference between removal versus reduction offsets and, and your lens on the growth of the last two or three years. Perfect. So I think the, yeah, the first thing to clarify is why are corporates using carbon offsets or companies are looking at carbon offsets. There's, there's a lot of different reasons, but I, I would say overall, um, yeah, it, it either is because of customer demand or because of investor demand. So there's a lot of different reasons why they would want to use offsets. Um, and then what, what is an offset? It's it's really has to be a, a, like a project that reduces emissions. So it's a credit related to a project that reduces emissions. Um, and then we see two main type of offsets, either uh, removal. So mostly when you talk about removal, you're talking about uh, projects, uh, for example, for uh, forestry projects or reforestation or avoided deforestation type of project. And then when you look at reduction offsets, uh, you're talking more about renewable energy, for example, um, in, in different countries. So solar or wind projects. Uh, of course, that has to be in, in markets where there isn't a current regulatory market uh, to, uh, yeah, to make sure that it's, these projects are additional. So I would say that's yeah, the main uh, like type of credits we see, see today. Is there, is there a way of quantifying either the kind of volume of offsets being uh, bought? There is data. We, we, we can see a lot of uh, information in the main registries. Um, so, yeah, also something important to mention on, on offset is historically it was really about uh, reduction type of offsets. Uh, so really like uh, trying to incentivize more uh, renewable energy. But as it went, uh, we started seeing, I would say, in the past few years, more and more uh, forestry type of projects that has been pushed a lot by oil companies, for example. Um, so yeah, we, we've seen a shift here. And in terms of demand as well, um, last year in 2020, the total retirement in the main registries that we track was around 100 million uh, credits. Um, and that has been growing steadily, I would say, in the past few years, since 2016, by 30 to 40% a year. So that, that's one thing, is the retirement. Uh, but at the same time, we're also seeing that the issuances are increasing even faster, uh, because the market is expecting that the demand is going to increase in the coming years. But we're also seeing, uh, as I mentioned, yeah, oil companies uh, has, have really um, increased their activity. Uh, and they also tend to hold quite important inventories of credit. So they, that's also adding a lot to the demand at the moment. Anytime in any kind of market, there's increasing activity. There's an impact on both product and impact on participants. But talk, talk to me a bit about what's been the impact of that increasing activity. So on oil and gas, yeah, like maybe again, like a um, couple of years ago, four or five years ago, we started seeing companies like Shell or BP offering offsets to their uh, to their clients or so really 
uh, retail clients at the point buying offsets. Um, that started as, yeah, I would say a small business. We also saw uh, aviation companies offering that as an option for, for customers. Um, but that's, that has really uh, yeah, gathered a lot of pace or accelerated in, in the past year since, since COVID, um, where we're really seeing yeah, that, that these products are being pushed more and more. And I think there's also been a realization that um, yeah, like, uh, like the businesses need to be sustainable and, and a, a way to do that is uh, to in, invest in offset projects as well. We did a podcast recently with a, a, a new trading exchange, ABAX, which is which is launching soon. And, and Joe Raya from there was talking about, you know, the kind of growing interest from commodities traders in, in offsets. Again, what, what's that about? And um, what, what are you seeing there? That's been really like one of the main trends in 2021 uh, so far. Uh, so commodities traders, um, yeah, I've I, I been like more and more involved. I think what we've seen a lot uh, at the start where uh, LNG shipments sold in Asia uh, bundled with offsets. So we've seen a few announcements out there from uh, companies such as Shell or Total uh, who were buying those, uh, selling, sorry, those LNG shipments uh, with offsets to buyers such as Tokyo Gas or Sinoc in China. So a lot of the demand seemed to be coming from, uh, from Asia. Um, but generally, more generally, I would say um, in the commodity sector, we've also seen uh, crude oil being sold uh, with offsets. We've seen bunker fuel sold with offsets, uh, NAFTA as well. So it, it is becoming, uh, it started with LNG, but it's becoming more and more a common thing. And we're hearing more and more traders uh, wanting to offer uh, whatever products they offer with offsets. So we've heard also the metal sector more and more is looking into offsets. Um, so yeah, it, it's really a, a trend for all those uh, type of, uh, of traders to being able to offer offsets. And that is really yeah one of the big things that has added demand uh, this year. Um, and on top of that, I would say, yeah, those traders also see the demand increasing and they've also been setting up new desks. So, uh, yeah, a lot of those new traders, are, like, for example, Vitol or Trafigura, have been out there announcing that they were increasing their presence in those markets and hiring more people. Uh, so that's also, again, adding to the demand and, yeah, just the, the, this impression that really the market is growing a lot and that the expectation is that it's going to continue as well. Yeah. Okay, so, so in terms of the volume, big shifts happening in terms of people getting involved, some kind of new distinct groups actually stepping into these markets. Are the products themselves maturing? What, what are you seeing change there? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, people often point to the fact that it's a bit of a wild west in, in the voluntary market. Um, but if you really start looking into it, um, yeah, there are trends that are emerging as well and some standardization. So, um, yeah, while in the past people could easily use uh, credits with very old vintages, uh, you're seeing less and less of that, for example, or uh, the type of projects as well. Like, um, again, if you look at all these LNG shipments that were sold in Asia and what offsets they used, at the start, they were using a lot of cheaper, uh, lower quality offsets. So, for example, renewable energy projects in Asia. These tends to be a lot of these cheaper volumes out there. Uh, you were seeing a lot less and less of those credits being used, but more uh, higher value credits with uh, co-benefits around it. So oftentimes you're talking about forestry type of projects uh, with like some um, yeah other certification for bio helping the biodiversity, helping local uh, like communities. So th there's been a shift as well to the quality and higher quality of credits. But at the same time, um, yeah, you, you don't really see always a willingness from buyers to pay a price that is too high. 
Uh, and so there's also compromise here that needs to be done between the price that buyers are ready to pay and what the market can offer them and at what price as well. So I think that eventually that's kind of the issue we're seeing now is prices are going up because the demand is going up. But uh, we don't always see uh, buyers increasing the level at which they want to buy those credits. So, so when a heavy emitter is coming to you and talking about this, what, what are the classic questions that they bring to you? What, what are they concerned about? What are they most often asking? So, I mean, yeah, most of the, the clients that come to us, the first question they would have is, yeah, what can we buy? And uh, what is there available? So we'll guide them and tell, explain them what, what is available. So what type of credits I mentioned, renewable energy, mentioned forestry projects. So what is available and where are they available? Uh, and then what prices? I mentioned prices can go from 50 cents to 10, 20, 30 dollars a, a ton. Uh, so that, that is, again, uh, an important factor on yeah, what price are they ready to, uh, to pay? And then geography as well, like credit uh, in the US is going to be more expensive than a project credit in South America, for example, or in Asia. So there's, there's also a lot of these different factors. So we'll help them understand all those factors, what impact prices, why credits are more expensive than others, and what can they claim with it as well. So it's also uh, a lot of the work we do is the communication around using those offsets, retiring those offsets. Uh, so that, that's a lot of what, what we do for, for clients. Um, and, and then, yeah, the, the reputation risk. So that's also always a thing where those companies want to do the right thing and they don't want to get attacked for it um, and they're spending money for it. So it's important for them to make sure that they use reputable credits uh, and that they're not going to get attacked for it uh, in a few years time. So that's really what, what we do as well with all the due diligence we do on projects and helping clients understand uh, where there is more risk or less risk, for example. So yeah, very like the typical example here is um, the avoided deforestation type of project. Oftentimes there is uh, quite some, uh, yeah, like uh, bad press about it. Like recently there was uh, bad press about projects in Colombia. So um, yeah, these are projects that can be more risky because of uh, the way calculate, like the baselines are calculated or like these type of factors uh, will take into account to help our clients choose the offsets and what price they can pay as well. What, what in your mind is like the gold, gold star of uh, quality offsets? I don't, I, I don't think there's one gold star, but I, I think you're seeing trends um, and yeah, it's typically projects we, we would tend to recommend would be projects uh, like afforestation type of projects. So really planting new trees in, uh, in uh, like uh, lands where there were no trees before. Uh, so you don't have this problem of, uh, of baseline. Um, and then, yeah, the, the location at the end doesn't really matter, but these are like the type of uh, projects and making sure, yeah, that um, local communities are, are being um, uh, like supported as well. So there's like all those co-benefits, but at the end of the day, it's about uh, impact on climate, I would say. So you want to make sure that there is a like a, a quantifiable and a permanent impact on the, the CO2. That's the most important thing for us. Definitely in the press, there's been plenty of sort of stories and reporting about the extent to which voluntary offsets can be a sort of, I guess, a, a way of deflecting the harder work of decarbonisation. What's your lens on that? Where are those kind of criticisms valid and things you need to work with and, and what feels like maybe more peripheral? I mean, from, from what we see, generally speaking, is that buyers or companies that want to buy offsets, they, they normally don't decide that from one day to another just to really purely greenwash. It's really something that is thought out uh, in a strategy. So oftentimes, yeah, we, we always say that, but like most companies that come to us already thought about 
how can I invest in my uh, industry or my uh, factory to reduce emissions? It, that's what makes most sense for company because if they're going to invest money, they'd rather invest it in their own operations than outside. So we like most like like often hear that a lot. So most clients are looking at their ways to reduce emissions, but then they are looking at offsets to have an additional impact. That's really how and why they're looking at offsets and why you should use offsets. It's really not an exercise of just offsetting your emissions and that's it. It should be about, I wanna to go to carbon neutrality as a company by whatever, 2030 or 2050, because I wanna have a sustainable business, but in the transition, I will be using offsets because if you're talking to steel mills or cement producers or even the shipping sector, uh, yeah, those are like long uh, investment cycles. It takes a lot of time to reduce emissions. Oftentimes they don't have the regulatory uh, certainty that they need to invest. So they, there are a lot of issues for them to reduce emissions. There are ways to reduce emissions, but it's also very expensive and very risky. Uh, so one way to yeah, like have a positive impact in the transition is really to use offsets. And I, I think it's also uh, an issue of the regulator in general is that they don't give enough certainty for people to invest and reduce their emissions. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, like offsets are really there because of the regulator at the end of the day, because like it, not enough is being made to help uh, yeah, emitters reduce their emissions in a sustainable way. What would be your gut feel? What's your guidance? How should we be using offsets on this kind of timeline to net zero? I think yeah, we, we also do as a company a lot of uh, modeling on supply and demand for, for offsets and other markets, but we've looked at uh, the voluntary market and there, there's a lot of assumptions behind it. But generally, when we look at um, large industries and how they plan to reduce emissions, they normally have uh, yeah, a cycle of 10, 15, 20 years before they can really start reducing emissions. And so the way we see it is that we think that there's going to likely be uh, a lot of demand for offsets up to 2030, 2035. Uh, but by then, hopefully, with more certainty on how to how we can reduce emissions, etc., there'll be more and more emissions being reduced and less uh, offsets being used as well. So we again, it's really a transition thing. We think that demand will peak around 2035. We don't think that demand is just going to go up uh, all the way uh, because we see that as a transition tool and not just as as a final uh, tool. I would say. I think I think it's also it's interesting to think that that a that the the peak point being 2035, but also that that these voluntary offsets are an expression of of what is not available to people from a, a policy or a regulated environment. I, I am sure that probably seems quite obvious to people in the market, but to me, it's it's not not a perspective I'd see on that. And I think I think that's an interesting thing for the hecklers and the people that are criticising it also to keep in mind is that this is a market that exists because other support transition simply isn't there yet. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I would say on critics, we, we often see uh, yeah, critics about these Colombian offsets recently. There were a lot of critics on uh, California offsets uh, and they tend to like, yeah, like look always at the same issues. Um, but yeah, like most times, I mean, th there's always uh, like the main standards that come back with comments and explanation. Uh, and oftentimes, yeah, those critics are not always right, I have to say. Um, and Certainly there are bad projects out there, but there are like a lot of good projects as well. So like just focusing all this time and energy on 1% or less than 1% of the projects that may not be so good while most of the other ones are good. Yeah, we kind of, uh, I, I think it's, yeah. It, of course it can always be better, but yeah. If you look at what offsets were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, yeah, we've improved the, like these projects have improved a lot. The quality of those projects have improved a lot and it's 
will continuously improve. And it's good that people look at those bad projects or pinpoint things that are not so good, so things improve. But we should also like just, I think, focus as well on, on the good projects and yeah, like all the good things that are being made thanks to those offset projects. You've mentioned a bit about when you're expecting to see peak offset, um, but what what other kind of price change or product change or you know what else are you expecting to see emerge? So yeah, I think there'll be more standardization. There is already more and more standardization. For example, uh, a lot of uh, companies are using uh, like the uh, Corsia type of offsets. So these are like just essentially some criteria to filter from all the offsets available to certain quality. So you'll probably see uh, like continuously like this type of trend. So uh, there might be like uh, specific uh, criteria for forestry type of projects or removal type of projects. You might start seeing more and more uh, credits for uh, technological removal rather than uh, nature-based uh, removal. Um, so that, yeah, uh, as it goes, I think, yeah, there's gonna be a focus on, on quality, uh, but at the same time, yeah, by 2050, there should likely only be removal because by then, hopefully, emissions will be reduced as much as they can. So there'll also be a switch here. So from today, where we still do need a lot of emission reductions offsets, I believe, to uh, a, a market where the focus will be more on removal. So uh, today, I think that both are very uh, useful. And some part of the markets are really pushing on the removal side. But I do think that there's a, a market for both type of offsets. But as it goes, there might be more and more removal type of credits. Um, and then, yeah, in, in terms of, uh, of uh, standardization, you might start seeing as well more um, exchanges. I mean, the, there are a lot of exchanges already opening new uh, exchanges um, that could help the liquidity and help the trading of, of those type of offsets. Uh, that could be good for, for the market, uh, generally speaking. Thank you so much, Nico. And uh, to anyone listening, I will ask Nico after this for relevant links to some of the work uh, that... Uh, Clear Blue are doing so that you can get in touch with him as well. But thanks, Nico. Thanks, Alex.